a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. For those of you who were here last week, we looked at the subject of the river of God from Ezekiel 47. And uh, we talked about how God wants to get you into the river of his presence, how he wants to get each of us into the river of his presence, how God's presence brings life and it brings growth, how God's kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom. We see that right throughout scripture. And we looked at, too, uh, how uh, as uh, now the place where the Holy Spirit dwells, each of us are, are, are like portable temples of God. And wherever we go, we should be taking the presence of God with us. And we looked also at some things can get, that can get in the way, some obstructions to the river of God, some obstructions to God's presence. I want to continue that theme this morning by this morning looking at valuing the presence of God. So if you're making notes this morning, that is your title, Valuing the Presence of God. Now, those of you who are learned theologians among us, and this looks like many of you, uh, you'll say, but but Graham, God is is everywhere. He's omnipresence. You'd say that, wouldn't you? You would. I I can tell from here. Uh, And that is true. That is true. God is everywhere. He is omnipresence. That we, you know, there's nowhere we can go to es- escape from his presence. He, he, he is there. Wherever we might tr- try and hide away, God is there. The psalmist talks about that. But what I'm talking about here is not so much God's omnipresence, but his manifest presence. So when God chooses particularly to reveal himself to us, Uh, in a particular moment of time and space, a particular location, that might be what we would call God's manifest presence. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. In terms of valuing his presence, I'm talking particularly about his manifest presence. So that felt nearness of God, his his glory, if you like, might be another way of putting it. This is the tangible presence of God amongst us. It's interesting looking at this subject of valuing the presence of God. Um, as I was uh, thinking about these things this week, Tim and I were praying on one occasion, and um, we were talking about this this theme about the river of God. And I think it'd be true to say we, we both felt that it wasn't just a, a, a preach of last Sunday, but rather something that may characterise this season for us in God. So more than just a one-off Sunday morning message, is actually something that the, the river of God, this seems to be what God is speaking to us about. It's what he's encouraging us into. It's what God is teaching us about. It's what we're learning more about in, in this season. So not just last Sunday or even just today, but actually uh, in, this, in this season, maybe this year or so. It seems to be something that God is speaking to us about. And let's make it clear, it doesn't mean that we therefore lose the Word of God. It doesn't mean that, oh, we're just going to be talking about the Spirit now, we don't get this book out anymore. Far from it. Actually, we're using God's Word to teach well into this. We still value God's Word. This is our ultimate authority on these things. 
and we'll open up God's word this morning to see what he has to show us from it. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to open up the Bible and see what God has for us. And I'm trusting leave some good time to be before God and see what he wants to do. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning as we have gathered and worshipped you and glorified your name. Thank you for choosing to manifest your presence amongst us. Thank you for that felt nearness of your glory. And Lord, we pray, continue with us now. As we open up your word, God, continue with us. Teach us, we pray, Holy Spirit. Come and apply the words of scripture to our lives, that it might do us good, it might feed our soul, we might learn and we might meet you afresh. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. And all the people said... Amen. Okay, so this morning we're talking about valuing the presence of God. Now, in the Old Testament, those of you who know, who know your Old Testament, you'll know that uh, there was something called the Ark of the Covenants, or the Ark of God, as it's sometimes called. And, and this was where God dwelt. It was like God's resting place on earth in the Old Testament times. And uh, it is where, well, it was where God was. And uh, even in, in the desert, uh, as somebody was referring to a little bit, bit earlier, the Israelites would make a, a portable temple, a portable tabernacle, in order to house this thing, because that, that, that was God's house. That's where he was. And as they took the ark with them as they travelled, it was symbolic of God being with them. It was like, you know, the ark showed them that that's, that's you know, by having that, by, that's where God was. He dwelt there. And they knew that by having that, that meant God was with them. And that he was going to continue with them. It's, it's where he dwelt. And so, for example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where you've got uh, Solomon, who's king at the time, dedicating the temple, not just a tent then, but a, uh, an amazing building, it was so it could house God's presence and God's glory. And in 2 Chronicles 7, you've got God's presence coming in such a powerful way that the priests couldn't get to do what they needed to do because the glory of God overwhelmed them. So the, the Old Testament people of God were familiar with this idea of God's presence. And as we're going to look at it in a moment, the, the Ark of God, or the, the Ark of the Covenants, were essential to that idea. So for Israel to lose that was not good. That was a bad thing. And we're going to see in a moment what actually happens. And uh, we need to understand that it wasn't just, you know, a box that got nicked by the opposing army. You know, oh dear, never mind. It was far more significant than that. It was much more important to them than that. It had much more significance in the whole life of the nation. It was, it was like Israel losing the presence of God. It's like, it was like God's people without God's presence there. And just before we, we are too quick to judge them for some poor decisions that got them to the situation where they, they lost the ark, it's actually true as well it can be true today of many churches. 
it's very easy to lose the presence of God. Now, we're not carrying around a great ark structure, are we? You know, there are lots of boxes we do carry around, but most of them are full of kits and cables and sort of stuff. It's not that we're carrying around the presence of God in one of these, one of these boxes. But we do carry the presence of God in us and in, in our churches. And it's very easy to lose that. It's very easy just to, to let that go and not to value it. And I, I know of too many churches that would be strong on preaching God's word, but not so strong on valuing the presence of God. And it's a danger for us as well. It's very easy to, to lose that. We have to, to work hard to make sure we're, we're thinking, oh God, we want to engage with you and your presence as well as your words. We need to make sure that we, we're doing that well. So it, although it's a danger for us, it's not an error that we slip into. So what had happened here was that the Philistines, who are the, the arch enemies of the Israelites, they had captured the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenants. So we now understand, this is, this is not good news, okay? And what happens is the, the Philistines capture the Ark and they put it in a temple of their God by the name of Dagon. And they think that by doing so, it's like they've captured the Ark of Yahweh, the Ark of the God of the Israelites, and they've stuck it in, in their temple. And by doing so, it's them saying, Haha, you know what, our God is greater than yours. And to prove it, we, we've got this Ark thing, and we've stuck it in our temple. So there. That's what they were doing by putting it in, in their temple. To, to Dagon. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible with you, just, just turn with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 5. So we've got some background now. Understood what's going on with the, with the ark. Philistines have captured it. Israel's been defeated by the Philistine army. They've taken off the ark. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why, to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod and its vicinity, he brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumours. When the men of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon, our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath? So they moved the Ark of the God of Israel. There's a bit of dark humour in this story, isn't there? So they've, they've, they've got the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God. They've stuck it in their, the temple to their God. 
And what happens? They wake up in the morning, the next day, and there's Dagon, their God, flat on his face, seemingly sort of prostrate, seemingly worshipping the God of the Israelites, symbolised by, by the Ark of God here. This is not what they expected. This, this is not what they had understood was going to happen by them capturing the Ark and sticking it in Dagon's temple. And you can imagine the discussion that would have ensued. I wonder what's happened there. It looks like he's worshipping. You know, did somebody not put some nails in right? You know, did the glue come away? You know, was he not fixed up properly? You can imagine the conversations and, you know, the men of, uh, the, men of the town would have been sent down to the local B&Q to buy some fairly heavy-duty nails, some extra strong superglue to fix their god back up. And so off they, off they trotted, came back from the local B&Q with, a, you know, great six-foot nails, I imagine, stuck their god back up, extra glue in, in place just to make sure he wasn't going to fall over again. They go to bed, wake up the next morning, and what's happened now? Well, this, this is no failure of, 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 you know, of, of masonry drills. This is no failure of nails or superglue. This is something else that's going on here. Now he's fallen fat on, flat on his face again, and just to prove the point, now his head and his hands are detached from his body. It's very, very clear what's happening. He's very clear now which is the greater God. Which is God at all, <laughs> in fact. And they knew that. They could see what was going on. There's no doubt about it. Dagon had been triumphed over by the God of Israel. It reminded me of the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, where he says, you know, who is God? Serve him. And they realised what was happening. And the Philistines now are desperate to get rid of the ark. Because it's not going well for them in this place. Now they're being afflicted by tumours and they've seen what's happened to their god Dagon. They just want to get rid of it. They just want to get rid of the presence of God. They want to get rid of this ark thing. That's my point. My first point is this. Number one. There is power in the presence of God. Of God. There is power in the presence of God. Power to help you change. Well, we talked about last week the river bringing life and change to things around it. Maybe you're struggling with something this morning. Allow God's power to come. There is power in God's presence. There is power to confront other gods. That's what's happening here with Dagon, wasn't it? You know, the presence of God symbolised here in the ark was confronting the false god Dagon. And who won? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Our God, the God, the creator God, Yahweh. There is power in God's presence to confront other gods or idols. I wonder, are there any other gods or idols in your life? You might say, Graham, no, 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 definitely not. You know, I, I worship God. <laughs> of course, there's no other gods. Well, what is a god? What is an idol? Well, it's anything you worship. It's anything that you allow to, to take your, your time or your affection 
away from God. So you might not think of it as a, you know, a false god statue type thing like Dagon was, but maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's your career or it's money. Maybe it's something else that has caught hold of you, that you know, has got that place of authority in your life. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's your car. <laughs> could be any number of things. But any of these things can take away the place that only God should have in our lives. And we'd never say, oh, I worship that. But the reality is of what we spend our time and our money and our interest and our affection and our thoughts to often reveal something different. But there's power in the presence of God. There is power in the presence of God to overcome those things and for God to triumph. Amen? So that's good. That's good. So what happens? Well, they want to get rid of the ark. And so eventually, sometime later, the ark is returned to Israel. So if we jump forward to 2 Samuel now, 2 Samuel chapter 6. The ark is returned has been is returned to uh, to Israel, and uh, David decides that he wants it in Jerusalem. So David is king, and the ark had been kept at Abinadab's house. And David thought, now actually, the ark needs to be in Jerusalem. And so, what happens? We're not we're not going to read all the passage. We don't have time, but you can have it in front of you to scan through as, as I'm talking in two Samuel six. And what happens is. David arranges to bring the ark up to Jerusalem and it gets put on the back of a cart. And they transport the ark of God on the back of this cart up up to Jerusalem. And as they're doing this, the oxen that are pulling the cart, on which there's the ark of God, stumble. And a guy called Uzzah goes to reach out and just steady things. And to grab it and just make sure it doesn't crash to the ground. And you might think, well, that's a good thing to do. You know, he's he's just making sure things are okay. But actually what happens is that God strikes him dead. Right there. Right there. You think, why? How come? What's going on? Well, the ark shouldn't have been on the cart to start with. It should have been carried by the Levites on their shoulders. If that had been the case, then there wouldn't have been any need to steady anything. But you see, God's presence is holy. So there there were certain regulations around the ark that helped the Israelites to understand that this this was where God dwelt and it was a holy place. And so there were some things that couldn't happen and just reaching out your hand and touching it was one of those things. And he shouldn't have done that. You see, God's presence was holy. You you can't just mess with it like that. And so David is now afraid of the ark. He's seen what's happened to Uzzah. And he sends it to the home of a guy called Obed-Edom, the Gittite. It's a good name, isn't it? Obed-Edom. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Eden the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him 
and his entire household. My second point is this. God's presence is holy. If we mess with it, we risk God's judgment. But if we honour him and his presence, we receive God's blessing. So we see here in the passage. God's presence is holy. If we mess with it, we risk God's judgments. But if we honour him and honour his presence, then we get God's blessing. You see, we often forget God's holiness, don't we? And we talk a lot about God's mercy, about God's grace, and about God's forgiveness, all of which are true characteristics of God. As is his holiness. It's not a different God. It's the same God. Different characteristics that all speak of him. So in Revelation 4, the living creatures uh, never stop saying, we're told, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. See, our God is a holy God. God's presence is a holy thing. And so God's judgment was on the Philistines for capturing the ark in the first place. His judgment was on those who didn't treat the ark in the, in the way that had been prescribed. And his judgment was on Uzzah. You see, the reality is that had it not been for what Jesus has done, God's judgment would be on us in exactly the same way. You see, you and I, we're sinful, unholy people. Aren't we? We cannot approach, reach out and touch, if you like, a holy God. God would be offended by that. His holiness would judge us, would judge our sin. It is only because Jesus has taken upon himself the punishment that should have been mine and should have been yours that we can reach out to God. And so God's holiness is as true today as it was then. But friends, you and I can approach God this morning not because of our righteousness, but because of Jesus' righteousness. Not because of our holiness, but because of Jesus' holiness. Not because of anything that you or I have done, but because of everything that he has accomplished. Do you understand that it's making sense? Are you with me on this? It's because of what Jesus has done. So God is still as holy, but now we get to approach God by being in Jesus. The New Testament describes it as being in Christ. Once we put our trust and faith in him, he clothes us with his righteousness. And then when God looks at us, he doesn't see all the sin and the rot and everything that's wrong with our lives. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees all the good stuff that Jesus has done. He sees the beauty and the holiness of his son. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? You and I get to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Once we put our trust and our faith in him. See, I don't want to dwell on God's judgment this morning, but it's right that we remember these things. We can't just consign it to the Old Testament and say, oh, that was then, this is different now. It's the same God's. 
God is still as holy today as he was then. God's presence is still a holy thing. But we get to approach God now through Jesus because of him and because of all that he has done. So God's blessing now came on Obed-Edom. I mean, those of you who haven't had kids yet, listen, I think Obed-Edom is a great name. You know, I remember it from, from, I don't know, being down this high in Sunday school. And uh, some of you are looking confused. Listen, you want a name for your son? Obed-Edom, I think it's a cool name. Sarah's not in here this morning, is she? We love you anymore, it's fine. Um, but Obed-Edom received God's blessing because he treated the, the presence of God well. He honoured God. He honoured God, he honoured his presence, and God blessed him for it. Let's not take God's presence lightly, but let's go after him, after his glory, and receive his blessing. You see, God's heart is to manifest his glory, or his presence is another way of putting it, in the nations and in individuals. God wants to dwell with his people. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Presence, glory, so it might, you can use the words interchangeably there. So the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? So Paul here is talking to the church. He talks to the church in Corinth. It's, it's a corporate statement. So he's saying, you yourselves. It's like a plural. He might be saying, use lot. Might be another way of putting it. Use lot together. Corporately, you're God's temple, you're God's dwelling place. God's spirit lives in you. So just as God's spirit lives in us individually, that's true for us corporately as well. You see, in the Old Testament, only one man, once a year, got to go into God's holy place, in the holy of holies, in the temple. And so, so the priest would go in once a year on a special day, having atoned uh, for sin to start with and making sure he was clean before God. He, he would go in to experience God's presence. And such a holy place was it that they'd tie a rope around him so that if he died while he was in there, they could pull him out and wouldn't have to go in themselves. One person, once a year. Now, you and I, because of what Jesus has done, by trusting in him, you and I can experience God's presence anytime, any place. We can come to him with no ritual or special clothes or sashes, as you were describing earlier. Not on a special occasion or a special place or date in the calendar, but at any time we can come and say, our Father, our Father, we can come to him. And God wants to manifest his glory and his presence with us. God is building us together as his temple, his dwelling place on the earth, his house, if you like. He dwells with us individually, he dwells within us corporately. Gordon Fee says, the church is the new temple. He's not talking about a building at the end of your road. He's talking about the people of God. The church, the people of God, now is the new temple. 
Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. But listen, friends, if we should eagerly desire God's gifts, how much more should we eagerly desire him, the giver of those gifts? Yeah? When we gather, I want us to create an atmosphere of expectation of God's presence. Now that's not some weird thing, that's just coming believing God, that he wants to dwell with us, he wants to manifest his glory, as we say earlier, he wants to show us his glory, he wants to dwell with us, he wants to reveal himself to us, he wants to bless us. Let's create an environment that is open to that, open to the presence of God, open to the preaching of his word and the presence of his spirit. We need to remember God's holiness and need to thank Jesus that it's because of what he did for us, taking our sin upon himself on the cross, taking God's wrath and judgment so that we didn't have to, so that as we put our trust in him, as we confess sin and trust Jesus for forgiveness, we get the great exchange all the awful things we've ever done for the righteousness and beauty of God's Son. That's a good exchange, isn't it? And because of that, we can come to him and say, oh God, show me your glory. Won't you dwell here in this place? Won't you dwell in my life? Won't you dwell in our lives together? So let's remember the presence of God is an attractive thing to unbelievers. There's a mixture of fear and wonder, but it's an attractive thing. You see, let's, let's welcome the Holy Spirit. Let's be open to what God wants to do. You see, it's God's presence that will distinguish us from any other people on earth. You see, there are, there, there are all sorts of groups around the world doing all sorts of good things. Lots of people helping in difficult circumstances and situations, serving people and loving them. What makes us difference? What makes us different? It's the presence of God. That's what distinguishes us. That's what Moses said. Moses recognised that that's what distinguished uh, the people he was leading from every other people on the face of the earth. And friends, the same is true for us today. It's the presence of God that distinguishes us. Let's keep going after that. Let's keep asking God to manifest his glory amongst us. Let's be open to receiving his blessing. Because as we do that, his spirit, his glory, his presence, as we talked about last week, will leak out and touch others, change lives, impact people, families, communities, villages, towns, cities, even nations. Why? Because as Habakkuk put it, the earth will be filled with a knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen? We're going to stand in a moment and invite God to come to us and, and meet with us. But be, before we do, I want to show you just a couple of pictures. Last week, I showed you a picture of a weir. Not a waterfall, I got it wrong. Weir. And it looked like this because it was blocked. And uh, we looked at some gunk that was there and... 
we saw that uh, there, was thing, there was stuff that got in the way of the river flowing and how that can be true in our lives, unbelief and lack of faith, cynicism and sin can get in the way of what God wants to do. I, talk, I took a similar walk this week on Monday. I was walking in the same place again and I got to this, the point where the weir is. And immediately I noticed that something had changed. Ah. I thought, wow, God, thank you. <laughs> Getting my phone out, I've got to get the picture of this again. But do you see what's happened? Two things have happened. Number one, there aren't any more blockages there. They've probably been cleared away. You can see that the logs and the gunk isn't there anymore. And in not being there anymore, the river can flow freely. But as well as that, I noticed that the river was now flowing at a greater speed and there was greater depth there. And I felt God speak to me as I was looking at this, that, as we've said, number one, when the blockages are clear, the river can flow more powerfully. But as well as that, the sheer weight and power of the faster flowing river would have cleared some blockages in and of itself. Because there would have been more weight there behind the head of the water to push it out of the way. And as it had done that, you would see there that the river was then flowing faster. The same is true, friends, of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, the river of God. As we clear stuff out of his way, he can flow through us easier. But as well as that, if we open ourselves up to more of God's presence, then just being in an environment of his presence, of his faster flowing river, actually deals with stuff as well. Actually pushes stuff out of the way. Actually draws us to him. So I want to ask you, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to flow in your life in such a way? Let's be open to what he wants to do, even with us this morning, shall we? Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.